Hey, we just want to let you guys know that we have trigger warnings in the episode notes. So if there's any content that is too difficult to hear, please, please, please look at the episode notes in every episode before you listen to it to see if there's anything in there that would make you want to skip it and skip it. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Headphones. Yeah, it's the cord because it's... It's like going. You can hear that. Yep. Is it working? Uh huh. Yeah, that's better. Good. Okay, should we get going? Yeah. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. We're doing episode five, season one. Okay, so we were watching it on Amazon because right now all of these seasons, I think it's the first six seasons or something, are on Amazon. This episode is not sophomore jinx on Wikipedia or like w- when they were released, but for some reason they have them, some of them kind of mixed up on Amazon. So that's what we're following because we were already like deep into taking notes on this episode before we found out that that's not how it's going. So we're doing episode five, the Amazon version, which is sophomore jinx. Yep. Cool. It's in the middle of the night. There's this redheaded turd <laughs> pushing himself up on this young woman. I was convinced that she was Denise Richards for like the first. I thought she looked familiar, but I would have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I, not. It's not. Yeah. I looked it up. So this is being filmed in 1999. Hey, everybody, it's not Denise it's not Richards. not Denise Richards because she had already done wild things in 1998 and she was Becky Ann Lehman in Drop Dead Gorgeous in 1999. She was probably working on Starship Troopers and wasn't available for this episode. So there's no way that she would be <laughs> – she wasn't available. We needed a Denise Richards type because she's not available. She's blowing up, you guys. But there's no way she'd be uncredited. So, But this girl was a striking resemblance. Yeah. P.S. Drop Dead Gorgeous is one of my favorite movies of all time. So this – Redheaded stepchild is pushing up on this lady and he's like, come on, what is this? No means no. I did your calculus homework. And she's like, quit it, Barry or whatever. Brad? <laughs> yes. And he's he's leaning over her and then sees a dead body. Yeah. They obviously freak out. Then it goes right to Stabler's house and he's obviously like getting shit together to go to this crime scene. And it's like 2.30 in the morning and his daughter walks in. She's sneaking in. Maureen. Can we make a note that every single episode so far we have gotten a deeper understanding of what happens in Stabler's personal life. Mm-hmm. And all we've gotten from Olivia is that she buys tomatoes one she at a time. She buys a tomato, yeah. I feel like after Oz, because he was in Oz, you know, yeah. and everybody in SVU was in Oz, mm-hmm. he was supposed to be, pro- I think he was projected to be like the main character in the whole show. And okay. didn't, and they didn't really like. So she was going to be like the sidekick. That's what I thought. These I early assumed. episodes make that sound like the most plausible thing. And I yeah. believe it is fact now yeah i mean because they didn't know that 20 years later freaking women were gonna throw their vaginas all over the place to (laughs) fucking get some rights (laughs) yeah and that she was gonna be captain and all that stuff Mm -hmm. oh yeah or that he would even i heard he's coming back for it he is he is he is (laughs) so marine comes in she's like danny He's like, where have you been? Who have you been with? What is going on? And she's like, nothing, nobody, nowhere. And he's like, oh, yeah, nothing, nobody, nowhere. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're grounded. She was like surprised by that somehow. He's like, well, what do you think I'm doing? I'm getting ready to go to work. He's like, breathe on me. Her face. She was like, yes, yeah, so he grounds her and he heads off to the crime scene. Yeah. And she throws a little fucking fit that he's up and he's leaving. She's like, typical. I'm like 40. I can do that. I'm the adult. Also, go to your room, teenager, that I'm legally responsible for. God, teenagers are the worst people. Benson and Sailor show up at the crime scene. They got called because she wasn't wearing any underwear. And there's this um, cop. He was so dumb. Oh, he was super dumb, yeah. They either paint the NYPD as evil trash monsters or lovable dum-dums. They're so incompetent. How did they even find the crime scene? Yeah. He's just like this dumb beat Am cop. I supposed to do that? I don't know. <laughs> They just gave me this badge and this gun and said, come on down to the... Okay. <laughs> he's just like a dumb beat cop and he's he gets all pissy because they're like, hey, you should look for the, the murder weapon. She had a head wound that had um some concrete. It looked like it was concrete. Fragments of... Yeah. Yeah, on yeah, it. In it. And he's like, well, who's going to do that? They're like, you are. Olivia's like, I'm in a smart fucking pantsuit at three in the morning. You think I'm going to be crawling around in the trash? Beat cop? 
Yeah. So these witnesses, uh, Rape Ginger and not Denise Richards, <laughs> they ended up finding the Vic's wallet. Her name's Jean Gallagher. She lives at Bowman Hall. And they're like, where's Bowman Hall? And they're like, Mark. And it's right next to where they're at. Mm-hmm. Now they're at the precinct. <laughs> I almost did it. They're at the precinct. They're trying to figure out if it was a two-person crime. Jeffries thinks that it was a one-person crime because her legs were like spread open a little bit. Mm -hmm. And she was thinking that it was like a disrespectful display and that is usually like a rape thing. The Vicks alcohol was 2.7%. 0.27%. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. That's a lot then. It was 0.27%. Because 0.08 is the legal limit. Yeah. So then Cragen's like, oh, there was a time I yearned for a girl who could drink like that. Yeah, they found out she was at a party at St. Raymond's for the b-ball team, the Rays, who apparently are like making a big comeback mm-hmm. in basketball. Right. So she'd been at a frat party. Uh, it wasn't celebrate. a frat party. It wasn't a frat party? No, it was a party that, remember, she's part of the- The Jazza Gals? Yeah, the <laughs> Women's Auxiliary. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we find that out in a minute. That's right. Um, that's right. This ends up being like a nothing, but when they disperse, Jeffries gets sent off because she is testifying at the Supreme Court, like they do every time, the state Supreme Court, for the quote-unquote severed head guy. So they're at St. Ra- Raymond's University. Munch and Cassidy are doing, uh, are talking to the, is he like the principal kind of? He's the administrator. Yeah. Which is I, I think that's basically like the Dean mm-hmm. Dean yeah he, Father McCord Father yeah Father McCord he was talking about how wonderful the student she was and everybody loved her he had never actually met her but they were going to be like celebrating her life he just kept emphasizing that they were going into and that they were going to be doing their own investigation and they're like great who does she fucking know just say who she knows and he was like well she was on the hostess committee which what he explained was like a woman's auxiliary for the basketball team is and they throw parties and stuff they go to the hostess office and there's this freaking lady because hostess is a dessert cake company when you just said hostess office i've just pictured like a lady with a what are those hostess cupcakes that have the white swirls on them oh yeah the, the brown ones one. yeah the, yeah i pictured her wearing like a beret <laughs> hat with that on it and then i had to shake and go mm-mm that's not <laughs> nope so women's auxiliary yeah women's auxiliary um so jean was like a star hostess and she had come to the party early to help set up but the people that come to those parties are like alumni players perspective players coaches so she doesn't want to give up a whole lot of information everybody's sort of not really i mean are you surprised let's not get the, the boys in trouble yeah yeah the head of the hostess committee uh, says they need to talk to Jean's roommate, which is Shelly Brown. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then right after she's – they're like, all right, great. Finally, we're getting somewhere. We're going to go talk to Shelly Brown. And then Riley Cougar slumps in. In walks the biggest douche lord. He does not give a fuck that they're cops. And he's being so rude, just like the – Just indignant, like little fuck. Entitled little white guy if you ever saw one. Rich, privileged. So Munch is owning Riley, which, again, endeared me to him a little bit. Yeah, because – Munch is about basketball, so he knows who he is already. And he's, like, mm-hmm. giving him shit for, like, throwing bows, but being a piece of shit player and, like, just sucking in general. Yeah. They get it out of Riley that he had seen Jean at the party and that he didn't know when she had left because he and his buddies had left to go to an alum's house and then he, like, met the mayor and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he said mm, that. You did. Oh, you did. You know the mayor. <laughs> so then Riley goes over that night. Because and- they were like, was there anybody there that maybe didn't like her? And he was like, I don't know. I mean, Chuck Mosley was yelling at her but you know how those people get. Right, and he's like, she was crying, he was yelling, and Munch is like, the way what people get. And Riley's like, you know, street players. Don't you mess with my homies. And But he was just... Like, gang, you know, that gangster rap crap. You're like, oh my God, you're all everything about you is just terrible. Yeah, and cringy and annoying. Mm-hmm. But he's like, they think they can get away with anything because they're so bad. And then Munch is the awesomest mm-hmm. he will ever be and has ever been because he goes, as opposed to suburban white boys who can get away with anything because of dad money mm-hmm. and he's like yeah uh yeah <laughs> had a little technical difficulty so had to run to the store get them sound equipment sorry i got some candy when <laughs> when i went to get this stuff so i need to stop i'll get at you later nerds Let's see so Munch and Cassidy take that lead, and we see a scene of street basketball being played. They're and, looking for Chuck Mosley. Yep. They go to talk to Chuck, and some racial heat comes up, as you would think. Like, you know, two cops in suits come to talk to him, and they're like, Oh, a white girl got raped? Go talk to the black guys, huh? Just, yeah. Ugh. That's yeah. a tale as old as time. But Munch was pretty cool about it. He was playing good cop. Because it turns out that... Um, Cassidy's a fucking shitbag. Yeah. So he sucks right now. And I think I think they're just like, hey, we need to highlight Munch a little bit here. 
Munch, you're going to be the voice of reason. So he pulls Chuck aside and he's like, come on, guy. What happened? Appease us. Let us like go over this stuff with you. You're cool. I'm cool. He's a fan of his basketball. Yeah. Too, so he like kind of knows. Yeah. So he tries to get in with him that way. So then he's willing to talk to them a little bit because of Munch. He tells me he went to the party with Jean. They're friends, but she gets a little messy when she drinks. And he wanted her to leave with him for her own good because he knows the situation, like of her staying at this frat party alone. But she said no, so they got in a fight, and he left and went home. He's like, I got home at 1 or 1.30. Conan O'Brien was on when I got home. So then his mom's his alibi because he gets home, and they're like, okay. But she's on a bus to Louisiana, so they're going to take him in because she's not going to be available by phone because it's 1999 and she doesn't have a cell phone. Mm -hmm. So until she gets to his sick aunt's house, they're like, sick aunt, okay. So they decide to take him in. Then we're back at the precinct. Munch and Cassidy are going over everything with the team, and they think that the winning basketball franchise is interested in covering this up, which Mm -hmm. is like, mm mm-hmm. Yep. Benson and Stabler are then going to talk to the roommate. So the roommate, Shelly, they're talking Shelley to. Shelly Brown, yeah. Yep, Shelly Brown. She looked familiar, so I IMDB'd her because I'm like, I've got to know who she is. Um, the only thing I recognized her from was she was the reporter at the end of the movie Elf with Will Ferrell when they're in front of the Central Park and she's like, oh, there's police, and they're in pursuit of Santa Claus. All I can remember from Elf is she's like, I can't declaw six kittens. <laughs> That's yeah. too much, or whatever. And it was Amy just Sedaris. Like, yeah, it was yeah. just like a small little thing. You know that they were like, just have a phone conversation. Just like, like you're wrapping up a phone conversation. <laughs> she's like, all right, I got it, I got it. And kittens. <laughs> So the roommate says the host the hostessing stuff is basically escorting. She had quit. Yeah, she wasn't having it. She wasn't into it. She was close with her roommate, Jean. Yeah, she was like, it wasn't said, but it was implied. We're supposed to show the basketball team, like, quote unquote, a good time. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was gross. Yeah. Uh, Jean started drinking a lot after the team got into the Sweet 16. So there was like three days of parties and all this stuff going on because they were like, was there a change in her behavior or whatever? And she said, actually, yeah. Um, And she was partying a lot, drinking a lot. After this particular party, she, quote unquote, lost her spark and she went to live with her parents for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Something happened. Something happened. Obviously. We're pretty sure we know what it is because we're watching Law & Order SVU. Mm-hmm. And so then they're at the home of Jean's parents and dad's in denial about all the te- detective's questions. But then mom eventually tells them that she was raped. Yeah. I like the mom kind of gave the dad like a side look when he was just like like kind of in denial about it and like just wasn't going to talk about yeah. it. Because she was like, oh, my God, this is like the same thing the school's doing, like murder. Mm-hmm. So she, I liked how she was kind of yep, like. Yep, she was just under a lot of pressure. And it's like. She was raped. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I get it, like, as a dad not wanting to say it out loud, but it's like, it happened and that now there's She's fucking dead and they're trying to figure shit out. Yeah. 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 These detectives are here asking you questions. Like, you need to answer these questions. And the mom was like, shh, she was raped. Yeah. Motherfuckers. So the next scene, so they're, like, getting all this information about what's going on with this girl. This rape has, at this point, nothing to do with the murder, but they're going to follow up on that lead because it could lead to why she was murdered. Yeah. Benson and Stabler are back at the campus talking to the therapist Jean had been talking to since her rape. Mm-hmm. And so she was filling them in because they're like, oh, we could get a, a warrant, da-da-da, just, like, help us out, you know, because she's got the doctor-patient confidentiality thing. But they're talking about a dead girl here, and they're trying to figure this out. She let them know that Jean didn't know the rapist. Or no. Didn't tell I'm her. I'm sorry. Yeah. She, the therapist, didn't know the rapist. Mm-hmm. But Jean had said it was a basketball player. She... She had had a missed period, so she was dealing with facing an abortion. She was drink having nightmares, drinking heavily. Yeah, 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 just really struggling with dealing with this rape as one would. Yeah. But she was like, I didn't press her for what you're asking me for because we were she slowly was... working through this thing together. Yeah. Now they're questioning Chuck Mosley. He's mm-hmm. in the precinct in the those rooms or whatever. Interrogation um, room? Cassidy's being racist as fuck. Like, why is he doing this? Yeah. Why is he... They didn't discuss playing, like, a bad cop, good cop thing. He's just doing it. Right. Like, usually they would give each other, like, a little eye here and there, like... And so we get the idea that, like, I'm yeah. doing that. Benson and Stabler do it all the time. They'll make it very obvious that they're doing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he has, like, zero. He's been a dick to this kid the entire fucking episode. Right. For zero reason. Right. Because he's not even the, I think he, like, is doing that whole, like, he probably did it because he's black. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. why Cassidy? Right. I want you You're to be the so good handsome one. handsome and you shouldn't be doing this. 
You're better than this. We're better than you this. as a character. We're all better than this. <laughs> Anyways, he's not the he's not the rapist or the killer. So they're talking. I don't know how this came about. I watched it nine hundred times, but there's a back and forth that leads Munch to ask him about Rambo. Uh, he's like, oh, but he pronounces it Rambo. And so now I hate Munch again. Um, uh, but it, it just leads mostly to the quote of, I know that first blood speaks to the existential angst of being jerked around by forces beyond your control, which is him basically saying, like, I'm being singled out here. I didn't do anything. In first blood, Rambo's just, like, passing through the town. And he mm-hmm. literally says, I'm just passing through. And then they give him a bunch of shit until he Rambo's the fuck out in the mountains. Yeah. So then with that quote, for some reason... They step out and Cassidy's like, duh, I'm dumb. I don't get it. And Munch is like, <laughs> yeah, he's not the guy. Yeah. So now they're at the back at the school and they're interviewing because Chuck and the Vic had a class, had some classes together. Um, and I can't remember what the class, it was like French fucking philosophy or some bullshit or French yep. literature. Yeah. And they're intervie- interviewing Professor James Rousseau, right? He's a douche. He likes Chuck. He thinks he's a great student, works hard for his GPA, GPA, unlike Riley Kruger. <laughs> for some reason, got brought up again. Yeah, he just, like, starts shitting on him randomly. He's just like, oh, because... I don't like Kruger. Or what is that? Cougar. Cougar. Yeah, so everything's kind of lining up that it's not Chuck. Right. They have everything except for Chuck's alibi at this point that he's probably not the dude. So right now in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, it was definitely it's Riley. Riley. And then so they're back interviewing Riley on the b-ball court. He's, he... <laughs> Tells them his alibi that night. He was picked up by the campus cops and he sp- spent the night in the offices there. Yeah. So he did go that night to, remember how he was like, you know, we saw the mayor and we partied. Yeah. I remember, he did do that. Right. Was it the night that she got murdered or the, or the rape night? The This right now, he's giving his alibi for the rape night. Oh, yeah, that happened before she was murdered where she got pregnant. Mm -hmm. Because they were, were like, trying to ask him questions, and he's acting like a spoiled little brat with a bad case of affluenza. Mm -hmm. Just such a douche with his floppy hair flopping in his stupid face, (laughs) bouncing the basketball, just, ugh. But, yeah, so he was just like, oh, the campus police picked me up, da-da-da. Yeah, they're back at the precinct, and Craig is fucking pissed immediately and also this is the second time in the episode that stabler calls craig and jefe i think it was a thing he was just trying out (laughs) i think it was i don't know he's like all right jefe (laughs) he's like you know what today i'm gonna try this on yeah i'm gonna try it on Um, i'm a fun guy i'm gonna throw this into my character you have a lot of layers stabler we get it we're aware (laughs) so does your family life oh my god Craigan gets immediately fired up about yeah. campus security, yeah. and he's got himself a story, and he's like, yeah. just got a major bone to pick yeah. with specifically 1964 campus security. Yeah, at the same school, because that's his, like, al- alma mater. I want to say alter mater. So the story is some college kids at that school got it in their head to, like, take the dean's convertible and drive it around. They got into an accident. Was it a hit and run? Yeah, they... No, it wasn't a run. It was just a hit. And then the campus, like, kind of covered for the boys. And they were like, let me guess. You were a drinker. Like, that was you driving the car. He was like, no. They hit me me and broke my leg. It broke my fucking leg. Right. And then he's like, I'm going fucking down there. So he's like, Craigan's like, like, I'm going to go deal with this. Craigan shows up to campus security. Oh my God, this is the best. He's immediately in the guy's face. So this guard, this this campus guard is a decorated ex-cop. Mm-hmm. And camp, and this is the best. He's like in his face, and the guard is like standing straight up, looking straight forward, not looking at Craig. And Craig is like right next to his face, looking <laughs> right at him. He's like a young in boot camp. Yeah, guy's like, uh, uh, and he's just like, I'm Craig. The guard totally cops to covering for Riley because he came in, but he let him leave. Yeah, and, and he said back. he said he believed what Riley said because Riley had told the security officer. He's like, you know how girls are; they'll lie about it or whatever, and the thing that the security officer said was a girl with a grudge can destroy a man whether he did something or not and we all Mm -hmm. know the fucking statistics on that shit Mm -hmm. we don't need to dive into it but isn't it something like less than two percent is bullshit yeah less than two percent of what's reported Mm -hmm. actually reported the stat would be insanely much more minuscule i can't stop beating these nerds i'm so sorry okay can i please open the red vines yeah (laughs) (laughs) As they're having this conversation, I'm just like, okay, so Riley's definitely the rapist from two months ago. He was like, it's he said, she said. And Gregan's like, it's fucking rape murder now. Yeah. And Gar said it was a mistake. Like and an inch and a half from the guy's face. Like yeah. he gets closer and closer and closer. 
He, the guy was like, it was a mistake. I'm sorry. And he's like, Craig, and like, you should be. Like hot, <laughs> hot dad breath, I'm sure, you know. Oh, it was great. All right, they're back at Stabler's house making dinner. Maureen is still grounded because she won't talk about the night she snuck out. Uh, we're led to believe that she was she... at that party. <gasps> I wonder if it's going to be brought up later. I don't know. I need all of these things. Instead of like every time there is a crime, something in Stabler's life perfectly lines up with it and then goes away, I need it to come back. Dickie's going to be a serial killer about. So Stabler's being a hard-ass dad. The, mom, and... the mom's kind of like, Maybe you should chill out. Right, because she was once a young girl. And she's like, suppose my parents would have dealt with me like that. And he's like, yeah, we wouldn't have had Maureen. Yeah. So it was like, but teenage Stabler fucking. <laughs> Benson and Stabler then adorably pop their heads into the most annoyed coroner's office. She's like, got a, what is it? Like a, not a rib bone spreader, saw. but a, a bone saw. Like a huge one. She's like, got a mask on. She's about to cut into this guy's fucking sternum. Yeah. They just pop their heads in and they're like, what's that? Hey, you hey, busy? What are you doing? Got any info for us on that, uh, jizz? Like, <laughs> She is stressed as fuck. Yeah. She's like, I missed Is Tech Perlman for this. So I Googled it. And it's a violinist. And it's like, calm down. You're fine. <laughs> then she's like, all right. Well, I the, the only info I have is that the sperm, sperm, count, is low. sperm count is super low. So immediately my brain goes to where? Riley. No. Low sperm count. The French professor. Because he's thinking, the only other dude that they've talked to. And he's older. See, in my mind, it went... And your sperm splos, slows down when you get older. It went to Riley, and then it would give them a chance to like make fun of him more. Oh. That's what I thought. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it was Riley, and he's a bitch, or whatever. <laughs> you could have a little sperm count and not be a bitch, but you know what I mean. So they're like, cool, we're going to test these frat bros, and we're going to get info on them. Okay, so that's a precinct. Precinct. Ugh. Do it again. I'm sweaty. This robe is making me sweaty. I can red see vines. that you're sweaty. Your glasses are fogging up. Are they? I get... Okay, so the priest is pissed. They have to schwack for samples because it's a sin. Fucking Al Sharpton is there too, wanting police to stop and hold themselves to a higher standard. He agrees with the not schwacking, by the way, Al Sharpton. Yeah, he's like, you can say no if you don't want to do it. But I, I just don't understand why... I don't know, maybe they just cut a scene out where they're like, holy shit, you guys, this is a big deal. Al Sharpton's getting involved. Anyways, Craigan's like, bye. They're schwacking into cups. Yeah. Deal. They make the dudes take samples. Riley's like, I can't do this. Stabler, he's like, what, you have a fight with your right hand? Yes, you can. Munch's like teen boy. I Part know. of him comes up, he's like, <laughs> he like actually like laughed super weird. Yeah. <laughs> but so then, because of the rapport that Chuck had made earlier with Munch, Munch is going to go take him to go have Chuck give his sample. Yeah, and Chuck is and like, hey. He pulls Munch aside and he's like, hey, can I tell you? Like, we're best friends now, right? So can I tell you? Right. I, You're the only white guy that I trust. Munch is like, obviously. <laughs> and he's like, I can't jerk off in a cup for this because I did have sex with Gene. And he's like, okay, so it's going to come up positive. And he's like, no, we use a condom. So he yeah. was like just trying to get ahead of it. And he's like, we had sex, but I used a condom. So it's my samples, like, it's not going to show up. Yeah. But he just wanted to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Jeffries is in court for the case that she originally referenced. Then it's announced that the defendant was killed in custody. So they're just like, anyway. So they didn't even have to mention this at all. Mm -hmm. All this was was just a setup for her to be able to talk to the, the lawyer. Yeah. There, she's like, hey, by the way, I'm looking about getting charges on a two-month-old rape. I don't have a Vic because she's dead, so I don't have any physical evidence. And he said the grand jury might grant an 805 hearsay. 805 hearsay exception. Did you know that Nicole Brown Simpson's journals that were documenting years of abuse were considered inadmissible because of hearsay? Because it was, like, in a written journal, she was dead. Even though it would basically be, like, a character witness against O.J. Simpson, they couldn't use it. Because she was dead? Or because... She was dead and it was a statement made outside of court. So oh. because it was set outside, like, they couldn't bring it in. Mm -hmm. They're gonna... She asked if, like, the decorated ex-cop who was the guard is it good enough. And he was like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. they... They're like, yeah, you pretty much have it in the bag then. Yeah. Okay, so now they're back to talking to Professor James Rousseau, asking who was in class the day after she was murdered. And uh, he said that Chuck was there and he seemed distracted and quiet, which was weird for him. Sabler has this, like, suspicious look on his face. Mm -hmm. He was like... And I couldn't figure out why for a well, second. Well, the professor yeah. is 
talking about it and they're they're just like, oh, who was there? And he's like, oh, um, actually, yeah, Chuck seemed off and oh. um, he seemed distracted. And I figured he just had a hangover. Sta- Benjamin yeah. Stabler leave. They're like, what is this guy hiding? Because the last time we talked to him, he was like the Chuck best was an ever. exemplary star yeah. student. And now he's this slacker with a hangover. Like, it it's sounds like, like he's just telling us what, what we want to hear. hear. Yeah. yeah. The sperm comes back. Both guys' swimmers are strong and healthy. That makes me double down. I'm like, okay, are you at this point thinking it's the professor? I was. I started to, because he wasn't on my radar at all. At mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Which is weird for me, because usually it's like... I'm I'm literally like, oh, they bought a coffee from you. That guy is the killer. <laughs> like, yeah. He's been casing the joint behind that hamburger stand for... <laughs> I wasn't until after Stabler and Benson were talking about how it's weird. Mm-hmm. How he's weird. And then they find out that Cougar, his sperm count is high, and so he's not the one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that he wasn't the one that raped her before, because obviously he was. Right. But for the murder. Right. But they still don't trust Chuck. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And then they get fucking Chuck's mom in interrogation. She's fucking <gasps> boss. She is regal, and I love her. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, gotta get Chuck's alibi. So, like, because she's such a strong, intense woman, they're just like, okay, we believe you. Yep. Yeah. You know, and usually I feel she's like, like education is the most important thing. I don't give a shit about basketball. Yeah. My son is going to be educated. I'm not going to put up with any of that. Like you immediately get the vibe. It's like, she's not going to lie for him. That's exactly what I was going to say. If he some shit, yeah. she's going to be like, she's my son is going to, to face the consequences of yeah. his actions. That's exactly. Like they were mm-hmm. just like, okay, this woman isn't going to cover for her son. Like most. She's a zero bullshit. Yeah. Um, yeah. They believe her and they cut her loose. That's, yeah. that's a cop term. Oh, here, I'll take another red one. I put them away. Oh, I put them in my little my little side pocket here my you little... wanna, do you want to i'm gonna eat the other red vines and meet in the middle <laughs> put some nerds in there and take a bite i don't know i mean this is i need like you a you can't pour them into the hole you gotta st- stuff like a Jeez. blue cheese olive the hole is too small it's what not gonna <laughs> do it one at a time take a i'm bite. not gonna do it take one... a bite is it great well or do you make a couple of these it tastes like diabetes and it's delicious <laughs> So I'm not sure what point. Look at this. They fall in there real good. I got these Cardi B nails, though, so I can't, I don't have the dexterity to get, um, the dexterity to get these, uh, little guys in there. All right. All right. So they go to the Agatha house. That was the dorm. So they're talking to, they're talking to the Vic's roommate again. Mm-hmm. She's, like, moving out. This chick is, like, a no bullshit chick either. I like her. I like um, her, too. And also, can one of you guys offer to help her carry the fucking couch-sized box that she's I, carrying to I her know. car? With ease, by the way. It's a goddamn refrigerator box. And they're like strolling along next to her, expecting her to continue to talk. I'd be huffing and puffing. Yeah. So it turns out Professor Russo was into the Vic, Jean, and kept looking at her and showing up wherever she was. Yeah. She was feeling like Jean was told her roommate that she was feeling like he was stalking her, basically. Yeah. Because like she'd show up at a store and he'd be there. She'd show up at the library and he would come right after her. And so they're talking to the father, the dean, not the dad. Yeah, like the the collar father. The Catholic. Father Father Catholic. He's like stupid in denial about everything. Eating something wrapped in tinfoil. Ugh, he was just such a Catholic priest. Out on a park bench. He was super in denial of how Professor French fuck behavior was not okay and was actually stalking. Yeah, he's just like annoyed in the most Catholic way possible with these people questioning the stalking because he's just like, um, yeah, maybe he would get a little too interested here and there. So the precinct, back at the precinct, and they're looking into Professor Russo's past history. Cragen's flipping through the pages with his knife. (laughs) He's like, I need to get this prop out. The DA is talking about how gross the timeline of sex crimes is. In 76, Russo forced himself on a Sarah Lawrence gal when she was passed out. This is like before date rape. Yeah. And boys will, and it wasn't when boys will be boys. Um, And then was like just like offered a job at another college. You know what I mean? He just, yeah. it, she was just saying how like disgusting the whole thing is. It's just, just like, like they're like, they're just like peeling the onion with a pocket knife of stuff about this guy's past. Like they're yeah. just finding more and more that he has a history how, of this kind of shit. And how bad college stuff was then. Like being able to not be in trouble for forcing yourself on somebody in the 70s and mm-hmm. 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2016s, <laughs> 1960s. <laughs> so they have this scene, they're just like wrapping up the, Stabler's home life situation and he's dropping Maureen off at school 
love you, love you. Oh, sweet, he's scared for her. She's innocent. Like, that's all I have for them. Yeah. Yeah, they make <laughs> So they have a nice little moment, and he's like, sorry, I'm being really hard on you. And she's like, sorry, I, I was scared. I would, So I was dishonest. She's like, I wasn't doing anything. You know, so he believed her, which is like a sweet tactic of a young teen Tasha as well. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, so much guilt. I need to tell you everything. Like, minus the... Everything. Everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Benson and Stabler are... Crime scene again, right? They're back at the crime scene, which has now become like a memorial of this girl. And then Benson and Stabler noticed that she was killed on the same route that Rousseau takes to get to his lecture hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go over how she was killed, figuring it out. And they decide maybe she was pushed down the stairs and hit her head on a wall. There, there was like some fucking shit in her wound. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, because like at the beginning of the episode, they're like, oh, was this a rock or like a brick or something? Like we can't find a murder weapon mm-hmm. because she could have been pushed down the stairs and hit her head. She had been drinking and mm-hmm. it was like. So then we quickly go through the end of this episode now because they go to Russo's office. They find Jean's schedule and they're like, why you got Jean's schedule, well, you weirdo? It was his TA. Every time they're interviewing, she's in the background, like, typing, but, like, also, like, side-eyeing. She was the one that was, like, here's the schedule. <laughs> like, he's weird. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, okay, this is enough to arrest him. They go to arrest him. They interrogate him. And then all of a sudden, he's just going to tell them everything. I didn't do anything. I saw her fall, and I went to her. But she was already dead, so I took her into the garden to have sex with her. Like, what? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Or no, he said to make love to her. To make love. And his eyes were all like watery. Like he had. Yeah. Like he was fully in his mind immersed in this fantasy relationship with her because he was a weirdo stalker. So then, yeah, they found his sperm. Ew. Sample. What are we calling it? So it doesn't gross me out. Evidence. (laughs) Yeah. He said that she fell down the stairs. So her death was an accident. But now it's like, oh, but then you fucked a dead person. Yeah. Munch and Cassidy are then at, they're at Chuck's getting scolded by Chuck's badass mom because they're there to apologize because now Chuck's getting all this shit. Here's another thing. They must have cut out a bunch of shit regarding like notoriety it was getting in the public eye because they reference him not being able to play basketball for the next year. So he must have had some sort of consequence for any type of involvement or or being in the public eye or whatever with it. And so they're like making some example of him. They apologize to her for how much shit he's getting. Chuck comes in and they're like, don't worry, what goes around comes around. And Chuck's just like, no, it doesn't. No. Basically highlighting his experience. Munch apologize. Cassie does not. Yeah. He doesn't apologize on his way out. Yep, because we hate him now. Yeah, he's a dick. He's a racist dick. Liz Lemon was right. And that's it. Yeah. So it was the teacher with his dick in the <laughs> garden. In the quad. <laughs> but yeah, turns out it always turns out in these first few, especially, it's like, whoop, hard right. It was an accidental fall, mm-hmm. but you engaged in necrophilia. All right. You ready to be mad at a bunch of fucking people? Yeah. <laughs> always. This is a story of white privilege, class privilege, and the motherfucking patriarchy. Oh, I'm already pissed. Yeah. This is Chanel Miller's story, a.k.a. Emily Doe of the Stanford rape case with bottom feeder Brock Turner. The straight out of central casting, douchey, white, fratty, but probably not in a frat yet because he was a freshman chotch bag, bro. Yeah. Can you tell we hate him? If you're unfamiliar with this guy, we hate him, okay? So I read Chanel's book, Know My Name, Mm-hmm. Because up until September of 2019, she was Emily Doe. Nobody knew who she was. Mm-hmm. Buy her book, first of all. Buy her book. Support her. If you're supportive but unmotivated like me, get the audiobook. So to start this off, the FBI defines rape as any type of penetration, but California law defines it as intercourse. So Chanel makes it really clear early in her book in regards to the debate of Brock Turner being called a rapist. Believe it or not, there's a debate of whether he should be defined as a rapist or not. I do not believe he is absolved of the title simply because he ran out of time. And I agree. So there will be no debate here. He is a rapist. Mm -hmm. So Chanel Miller was born in 1992. Her mom immigrated from China to be a writer, and her dad is a retired therapist. And she has one younger sister, Tiffany. Chanel went to UCSB and got a degree in literature in 2014. Saturday, January 17th, 2015, Chanel is 22 at the time, and she 
was living and working in Palo Alto, California, where she grew up. Mm -hmm. And that's where Stanford is. It was her hometown, Stanford, the campus, all that comes up around it. She's very comfortable here. So Chanel went to a party at the Kappa Alpha house that night at Stanford with her younger sister, Tiffany, and Tiffany's friend, Julia. She didn't even want to go. And then she was like, all right, fine. And they made fun of her because she wore a cardigan to this frat party. And she's like, whatever, I'm too old to be here. And the girls got there and made themselves the welcoming committee at the door and just like being silly and outgoing. And they danced and were drinking and having fun and whatever. And the girls spent the party pretty much completely together. Classic college house party stuff. Drinking too much from plastic cups and peeing outside and... yeah. Right? Like all, um, the, all the fun stuff that we did. Yeah. Yeah. So Chanel drank in college, but her tolerance had seemed to not be what it once was. That's how she described it. Cause she's out with her sister and her sister's friend. She's like, I'm going to make this fun. I'm going to party tonight with my sister. It was her sister's last night in town. Mm-hmm. So they're just having a rage fest. Her last memory was standing outside in a circle with her sister and a few other people. This is something that I didn't know before. Part of her sister's statement included talking about this blonde, big-eyed guy they avoided at the party because he kept coming up to girls and, like, being touchy and weird and, like, getting too close. Not talking to anybody, but just, you know, try. he tried to... The party creep, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Classic party creep. Oh, my God. Can you guess who it was? Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) So this was Brock Turner, right? So at one point in the night, he tried to kiss Tiffany, and that's in all of the court documents and everything. Chanel has no memory of interacting with him at all. Like, Mm -hmm. they were just like, oh, this guy's being creepy. Like, he went up and put his face on Tiffany's face and she's like yeah he kissed my teeth because I was like ugh it's bizarre and weird and creepy yeah I hate party creeps like it's like can't we just have some fucking fun and you not like hover around like a fucking weirdo yeah so uh, at one point she has no memory of any of this but she had gone off alone she was outside and she called her boyfriend Lucas and they'd only been dating for a couple of months and they're doing this long distance thing so they would talk on the phone a lot she left him a voicemail that was mumbly and incoherent and it was... Been there, done that. Yeah. (laughs) She doesn't remember doing it. He had listened to the voicemail. He was scared for her and he called her back and was like begging her to find her sister. He was just kind of freaking out because she wasn't really super responsive, slurry and rambly and incoherent. So the voicemail that she left him would later end up being evidence. (sighs) So she woke up in the hospital. She was super confused. She ended up being told by this really sweet, nice, gentle detective. They had reason to believe that she had been assaulted. She still didn't even realize that she wasn't in like a nurse's office on campus. She's like, oh my God, how embarrassing. I must have fallen down or something. Mm -hmm. And where's my sister? And immediately she's just like, oh my God, where's Tiffany? I'm so embarrassed. And this detective was like, two graduate students were on their way to a party. They saw something happening and they stopped it. Up until this point when she could give her information, she was Emily Doe because she was found with no ID, no wallet, half naked behind a dumpster. The length and the detail that she goes into of the description of her rape exam, the first being the hours that are spent getting examined, poked at, questioned, photographed. They legit show an entire close-up view of her vagina in the courtroom. Oh my God. She doesn't even find out about it until later. And then she's sitting in a room with all these people that have seen these photos of the most brutal examination of her life. Yeah, that's fucked. Yeah. It's just like, by the end of it, you're like, this is why women don't report. Nobody's going to believe you. And you have to go through terrible scrutiny. You have to relive it over and over. You have to relive it over and over. Be asked over and over again what you did to prevent yourself getting raped. And that is even before they decide if there is enough evidence. Mm -hmm. That's even if if your rape kit gets tested. They told her that she was going to have her rape kit fast-tracked because this was quote-unquote high profile and there were witnesses. Somehow this got leaked and because it's in the news, they're like going to fast-track her rape kit because otherwise it would sit there like other rape kits collect mold. Yeah. Some rape kits have to be thrown out because they're too moldy to be tested. Are you mad? Her sister came and picked her up and was sobbing and crying. Um, They went home and the detective called her and she agreed to press charges. And she said, okay, this is from her book. I didn't know that money could make the cell doors swing open. I didn't know that if the woman was drunk when the violence occurred, she wouldn't be taken seriously. I didn't know that if he was drunk when the violence occurred, people would offer him sympathy. I didn't know that my loss of memory would become his opportunity. I didn't know that being a victim was synonymous with not being believed. What a bunch of fucking holes. On the wall. All right, we're going to talk about the Swedes. 
We need a little pick-me-up. <laughs> like, we're going to talk about Swedes. Like, yeah, we are. Yeah. Chanel calls them her heroes. These incredible dudes are named Carl Friedrich Arndt and Peter Lars Johnson. They're PhD graduate students. Why did you say Johnson, like, in a different because that's super, like, regular? <laughs> You're like, Janssen. <laughs> because it's spelled like a Swedish guy would spell it, J-O-N-S-S-O-N. Oh and also in the Big Lebowski, and they're like, we're going to call off your Johnson. Oh, yeah. It's, but they're German. No, wait, are they? They're German. Were they? We believe in nothing. So these guys are a couple of studs. Mm -hmm. uh, they were riding their bikes to a party. I love dude friendship ri bike rides for some reason. Yeah, they're like, let's go to a party. Hop on your bicycle. <laughs> my friend Brandon has sent pictures of him and his friend bike riding. And he's in front. And he's always like, and they're both like <laughs> smiling. And it's like, you can just see their little friendship in their faces. It's I love cute. it. They see something happen. A statement from Carl said, we saw that she was not moving while he was moving a lot, aggressively thrusting his hips into her. So we stopped and thought, this is very strange. So they, they stop and then Peter approaches Brock first and Carl filed behind him. Brock stands up. They said, when he got up, we saw that she still wasn't moving. So we walked up and Peter goes, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And Brock was like, oh, we're just, and doesn't really give like a full anything. And he takes off. So Peter fucking books it after him. So he, he knows she's passed out and what he's doing is wrong. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I cannot emphasize how passed out cold she was. So Carl stayed there to make sure she was alive. Mm -hmm. Peter took off after Brock. Brock's an athlete, okay? Brock's a swimmer. He's an athlete. I only say this because he can run fast. Mm -hmm. Peter catches up to him. He fucking sweeps his leg like a goddamn Cobra Kai and takes him down. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And restrains him. What so, a boss. I know. Then Carl said that Chanel was completely unconscious the entire time. He said she laid perfectly still. By by that point, a few more people had gathered around, um, had noticed like something was going on because there was a lot of commotion and the police were called. Carl ended up having to leave Chanel over by the dumpster because Brock had made it about 90 feet mm -hmm. when Peter tackled him, but then he kept trying to get away. So then Carl came up and they both restrained him until the police came. There was an interview where Carl was asked if Brock seemed drunk and he said that Brock spoke without slurring and was able to run. So I think that answers it. Mm. So while giving their statement to the police that night. One of the guys, it wasn't specified, but he had paused to sob and catch his breath. That is how disturbing what they came upon was. There was no mistaking what they had seen. God, thank God they were they rode by. No shit. They're like the true heroes of that night. Yeah. They're great. These guys are great. Whenever you're upset throughout the story, think of how great they are. Less than 24 hours after being arrested, Brock was released on a $150,000 bail. Mm-hmm. Chanel still doesn't know the details of what happened to her. She just knows that she was possibly assaulted and... Possibly assaulted. Possibly. Like, they, like possibly the, rape? You mean, what do you mean? They they said she was possibly assaulted. They mm. didn't give... At the time, I thought you meant like right now. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. At the time. No, yeah. at the time they were telling her that she was... Like, these were possibilities and they just wanted to make sure they got everything evidence-wise that they needed to get from her. Then they called and asked if she wanted to press charges and she's like, I, I suppose, yeah. Like, that's what I should be doing. She's so confused. Like, she could have just been like, no, because I don't really know. There was something in her that made her say yes. So she decided not to tell anybody about it. Not uncommon at all. But she was like, I don't even know like what exactly happened. So I'm not going to talk to anybody about it yet. Um, she went to work didn't tell anybody. One day she was looking at the local news on her computer and she saw an article reporting that a Stanford athlete was charged with five felonies. Okay. Rape of an intoxicated person, rape of an unconscious person, sexual penetration by a foreign object of an intoxicated woman, sexual penetration by a foreign object of an unconscious woman, and assault with intent to commit rape. It was the first time that she had ever seen his face. It was his mugshot after being arrested for the rape. Like the red-eyed curly. Yep. The one that we all know. Yeah. If you know what Brock Turner looks like, it's because of this photo mm -hmm. or one of him swimming. Yeah. So she learned what happened to her on Google at work. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, she ended up getting connected with an advocate and different people that had to be involved as they proceeded with this. And now it, because it was news, it was going to be a little bit more than just the way it, it can get swept aside. 
what her advocate said to her was his only way out is through you, which is terrifying because she knows that she has no memory. She knows that he's going to write the story. Every gap that's not filled in, he gets to write now. So some of the things that she found out that he said later were that she enjoyed it, that it was consensual, pretty much whatever he had to say to make it not sound like a rape. Right. Yeah, sorry, two dudes tackled you. Right. You got up and ran. Now everybody knows her as Emily Doe. All of this is on the news. She cannot stop reading the comments. Sitting there, finding out what happened to her on Google, reading comments of people blaming her. So she was being terribly attacked by commenters. He was being supported. And he was presented by his legal team and the media as this squeaky clean kid who'd never been in trouble or associated with drugs or anything. He was just a real go-getter athlete. And then later on, we find out that he had recently been caught for underage drinking and got out of it because of his family. Group texts that he was a part of where he was engaging in a lot of drug use and stuff, high school into college. And I'm not here to say that people who use drugs and alcohol must be rapists. I'm just here to say that he expects his behavior to go unpunished. A quote I pulled from Chanel's book, the media wasn't much help. They counted my drinks and counted the seconds Brock could swim 200 yards. So the most I'm willing to mention about his swimming credits is that it was heavily focused on in so many articles and he got so many accolades, but I have no fucking idea what they are because ask me if I wrote him down. No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Good. He was a good swimmer. Good for him. He was a piece of shit. He was yeah. a piece of shit who could float. Yeah. <laughs> Chanel decided that Emily Doe didn't need therapy and she wasn't going to get it for her. Mm-hmm. Months passed and she didn't tell any of her friends. Um, she went to work and lived a completely double life. Nobody knew it was her. Everybody's talking about this case around her, by the way. Yeah. Everybody's talking it's about like it. Na- international news. Yeah. 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 They got her rape kit back. There was no semen, no penile penetration. So the felony charges went from five to three because rape had to have penile penetration in in the state of California at that time. So she found out later that Brock's defense attorney said that they would be pleading for him to get a misdemeanor for disturbing the peace and nothing else. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. How do those lawyers, that the lawyer not like fucking blow his brains out in his car later? Like how do you live with yourself? You mean in his fucking, oh, I was going to try to name an awesome car that a lawyer would have, but I don't know anything about it. Lamborghini. McLaren. Fucking super nice Tesla. What's the (laughs) nicest one? (laughs) Anyway, whatever. The way she fucking talks about victim blaming, too. She did this Super Soul Sunday interview with Oprah. She talks about victim blaming to Oprah. Oprah asked her some incredible question because... It's fucking Oprah. It's fucking Oprah. So she talks about the shit-talking of a victim who's drinking. So we're told not to be the drunkest one, to not make yourself vulnerable, and all that's doing is putting a band-aid on the problem because all you're doing is making sure that it isn't you. Just because you're not the the weakest one in the herd doesn't mean that the predator, because that's what it is. That's who you are as the rapist. You're the predator. You're going to find prey if that's what you're looking for. So you're just making sure that it's not you. That strategy and that social viewpoint doesn't lessen the amount of rapes. Yeah. And that's what we're not getting here. That's like, Like, let's stop being like, hey, you should not, don't put yourself in that situation. Let's teach guys not to fucking rape us. Yeah. Let's actually hold them accountable when it comes down to it. Oh my God, this is going to take me fucking 14 hours to get through. (sighs) They have the pretrial. She has to answer over 300 questions on the stand, 322. The news the next morning was only about how much she had to drink and how drunk she had testified to being. Okay. okay. Awesome. Cool. And after giving her testimony, a thing that she said was, those who watched me cry on the stand may have perceived me as fragile, but I believed it to be the quiet beginning of my strength. Mm-hmm. Fucking moving. Right. Yeah. So she goes to stay with her boyfriend in Philadelphia. He supported her the entire time. Awesome. He never doubted her. Yeah. Lucas, we like him. Yeah. So she spent a period of time staying in his apartment, really depressed, not doing anything. And then she, hard right, auditioned for a comedy show and fucking crushed doing stand-up. Whoa. Yeah. What? I searched and searched to find her stand-up. Yeah. That needs to be the first thing that comes up. Dude. She, yeah. I didn't know any of that. Fucking crushed it. Fuck. And then she was depressed again the next day. Like, she got so much out of it, and she felt so fucking good that she could do this thing. And because she was starting to see herself as not having significance and viewing herself the way that she was being perceived and talked about and reported about. And she couldn't sit there with a fucking megaphone and be like, hey, you guys, Mm -hmm. I'm not the shitty one here. 
Yeah. People are still commenting that shit. Like, mm-hmm. I'm seeing newer articles that are like, yeah, but what kind of girl gets blackout drunk? Like, how does that mean she deserves to be raped? I know. It's fucking it's, insane. It's absolutely yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. I just merged. <laughs> it's not a question if you survive this, but what beautiful things await you when you do. Good and bad things come from the universe holding hands. Wait for the good to come. Maya Angelou? Question mark? Nope. Chanel's mom. she's incredible. Also, fun fact, Chanel's mom, in 2017, she drew a picture of Brock and took it to Burning Man and set it on fire. (gasps) There's, see, with every person that I hate in this story. There's like an awesome person. There's an awesome person. So, so much of Chanel's support system couldn't sit in the courtroom during her testimony at trial. Why? Because they were witnesses and were also having to testify. Um. Her sister, the Swedes, her boyfriend, Lucas, he was testifying to her state of mind because he had spoken with her that night. Yeah. All the people that had held her up after that night, nurses, detectives. Keep in mind that she had only told a small handful of people. Right. I mean, by the time the trial got going, like the real, like the jury trial got going, she had told a couple of her other friends who had also had history of being raped. Going back to Brock's statement the night of the assault, his only statement before trial. The only thing that he had said was 15 months prior, the night of the attack. The trial started 15 months after the attack. Yup. So his only statement before trial was that he had admitted to fingering me and denied running. Those are her words. Brock's story was much more elaborate at trial, surprise, surprise, after he knew that she had no memory. His story was that they had connected at the party, they had danced, held hands, made out. There was a series of consent. As far as he knew, she liked it. So they're just, at this point, they're saying that there was like a whole thing leading up to this, that they had had this whole magical fucking night, Mm -hmm. which made her even angrier and sicker about the whole thing. She's like, bro, ask anybody. He was the party creep. Yeah. She was like, I don't know you. I never knew you. I never interacted with you. You That's like the first first line in her victim impact statement was, you don't know me, but you've been inside me. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I just got chills just saying it. Yeah. So as they're like kicking off the trial, Chanel's lawyer told her that they tend to not choose female jurors at rape trials because there's a higher likelihood of them not empathizing with the victim because they don't want to believe it could happen to them. So they look for fault in her. Mm. Isn't that crazy? internalized. Misogyny. Yeah. But I think it's partly internalized misogyny. Doesn't she know better? yeah, Yeah. But it's like, that's what we tell ourselves to keep ourselves safe and feeling safe because we just walk around with this false feeling of security. Among the 18 people that testified at the trial, one of them, and this just goes as an example to Brock's access, one of them was expert witness Kim Fromm, PhD, 10,000 bucks to get this person to come in. She testified that someone experiencing an alcohol-induced blackout could still engage in consensual activities and have no memory of it. So they brought her in to create doubt because that's all they have to do, right? Mm -hmm. Try to find the reasonable doubt. Is there reasonable doubt in believing that she was consenting? The jury could find that. They could go one way or the other. Or they could be like, hey, these two guys came upon a dude assaulting a passed out woman. The defense questioned the salacious realization that she had had four to five blackouts before that. It was a big fucking deal. Like of all of her testimony, they focused on this part of it. The media focused on it and the defense. I I mean, I get that the defense is there to defend Brock Turner. It's just such a dumb, like, why does that fucking even matter? Right. But it matters for their, they're painting a picture of her character. Right. Which. He shouldn't be in trouble. She's perfectly rapable. She's been blackout so many like what the fuck Mm -hmm. when Brock goes up to testify she calls him unabashedly self-righteous which I think is the best way to describe these type type of dudes yeah fast forward through the trial it was long and burdensome and she ended up reaching out to more people and feeling more supported and he was found guilty on all three counts okay hooray celebration finally some fucking justice Mm -hmm. what happens when somebody's found guilty they don't get to hug their parents and they get drugged off and they have to go back to jail. Not Brock. Okay. Brock is released to remain on bail with his family for two more months until his sentencing. What? Why? How does that work? Why? I don't get it. What? Because, yeah. What? How? Oh my God, if he was black, this wouldn't even be Oh my God. It makes zero sense, but okay. I mean, you're white, so. When people argue that privilege doesn't exist, I don't know what to say to them. Fuck off. 
Fuck everybody. This day is going to be really shitty. I know. The I'm like super day. pissed, mm-hmm. dude. Um, get out. <laughs> get out of my house in life. <laughs> Don't ever say that to me. So the maximum sentence that Brock could have gotten for this was 14 years. The DA requested he gets six years. Mm-hmm. Chanel thought it would possibly be two years but definitely no less than one. If you get less than a year, you don't even go to prison because the max for county jail, now this is all California. It could be different other places. I don't know. But in California, the max for county jail is one year. Fuck Uh, him. Fuck him. Fuck him. (laughs) Sorry. Fuck him. In this two months before his sentencing, Brock's PO calls Chanel to find out what Chanel wants because the PO has to give something to the to the judge, has to write up a thing, a recommendation. She's like, what are your thoughts on it? And Chanel was kind of, she didn't know anything about the, the court system or how any of this works. So she's like a super incredible, reasonable person. And she goes, well, I don't want him to just rot away in jail or rot away in prison. I want him to learn from this. His true perception may really be that this is excuse and what he did wasn't as brutally terrible as it really was. Yeah. He may really believe that. So she's like, I want him to get help. I want him to get therapy. I really want him to get rehabilitated for his behavior. So then the DA calls her and she felt weird after she got off the phone with the parole officer because she's like, did I say the right stuff? I don't know. The DA calls her and the, the PO took her statement to mean that Chanel wanted him to have a lenient sentence because she wanted him to get help and not just be incarcerated. And she's like, um, no, that's not what I said at all. She tried to get a hold of the PO and tried to find a way to be like, no, this isn't, that's not what I said. Yes, I want him to be rehabilitated. He's not pay for his shit. But not with, yeah, not without consequence. Yeah. They were like, the, the paperwork's already in motion and, you know. Did the it, paperwork's already in motion. I know. Oh my God. Is that loud? So, so then, you know, Brock tells the PO, he would have never blah, 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 blaming it all on college culture of too much drinking. Cool. Next. And he would actively be speaking out against it mm-hmm. because he's blaming drinking you for his actions. her sister's teeth. Okay. Get this done. I'm pissed. This is not the only. Here are all the people that are the reason that he is the way he is. His grandparents are quoted as to saying, Brock is the only one paying a consequence for the actions of another adult. Because they all fully believe that this is impossible, that she may be telling the truth. This girl who's on the stand, underweight, fucking broken. Like, they can't see. She's doing this to him is how they see it. Yeah. She's doing this to him and she's not taking accountability for her part. How fucked, but also how... Okay, boomer. (laughs) How spot on is where his thinking comes from. I have a little piece of his dad's letter. No, I don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it? I don't I mean, have to read it. I do. It's fucking ridiculous. It's, I, I I know what it is and we need to talk about it, yes. Sure. But So, I'll say this. I'm sure his mom's a Karen and his dad's a Hey Mike or whatever. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Oh, I just pictured their house in Ohio is probably like really nautical. Her victim impact statement was 7,000 words. She was told she had to read an abridged version in court. I can't emphasize enough what an amazing writer she is, but anybody who read her victim impact statement that was later released on BuzzFeed and went crazy viral Mm -hmm. knows that she's an incredible writer to the point where they accused it of being written by her attorney or by her advocate and not by her. Of course, because she's a woman and stuff. Well, she's she's 22. She's a 22-year-old who was blackout drunk at a college party. So she couldn't be this like profound thinker too. Right. Brock's dad read a letter that he wrote following Chanel's victim impact statement. The first three-fourths of his letter was about how Brock lit up a room and was so likable, which is debatable because everyone else that talks about him after this says that he's a piece of shit. Like, yeah, yeah, he was a dick. Yeah, he had to be on all these different swimming teams because he was never like a teammate kind of guy. There was one guy who writes a, a letter to Brock, AJ... God, what the fuck was it? AJ something where he's like, hey, what's up? We swam together in high school. Remember you called me a fag? I mean, just a piece of shit kid. Have you ever even met your child? You can love him and he can still be a rapist. Those things are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. This is his dad speaking. 
As it stands now, Brock's life has been deeply altered forever by the events of January 17th and 18th. He will never be his happy-go-lucky self with that easygoing personality and welcoming smile. His every waking minute is consumed with worry, anxiety, fear, and depression. You can see this in his face, the way he walks, his weakened voice, his lack of appetite. Brock always enjoyed certain types of food. I was always excited to buy him a big ribeye steak to grill or to get his favorite snack for him. I had to make sure to hide some of my favorite pretzels or chips because I knew they wouldn't be around long after Brock walked in from a long swim practice. Now he barely consumes any food and eats only to exist. These verdicts have broken and shattered him and our family in so many ways. His life will never be the one that he dreamed about and worked so hard to achieve. That is a steep price to pay for 20 minutes of action out of his 20 plus years of life. That's how he ends it, right? Nope. The fact that he now has to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life forever alters where he can live, visit, work, and how he will be able to interact with people and organizations. What I know as his father is that incarceration is not the appropriate punishment for Brock. He has no prior criminal history and has never been violent to anyone, including his actions on the night of January 17th, 2015. Brock can do so many positive things as a contributor to society and is totally committed to educating other college-age students about the dangers of alcohol consumption and sexual promiscuity. Oh, God. By having people like Brock educate others on college campuses is how society can begin to break the cycle of binge drinking and its unfortunate results. Probation is the best answer for Brock in this situation and allows him to give back to society in a net positive way. No. You, sir, Mr. Dan A. Turner, are a part of the problem. Yeah. A huge part of the problem. Yeah. Judge Aaron Persky, are you mad at enough people yet? Yes. Or not sure? No? I'm- No? I'm not? I am. No, you're not? Okay. Judge Aaron Persky sentenced him to six months in county jail. Did he get time served for the two months? No, Did because he? he didn't serve jail time. He went home. But for every day that you That's why I thought he meant that because he went home. He's probably like under house arrest, right? I Or they like going 100%. out and getting steaks and chips the whole time. Oh, they're probably they're, he's probably trying to choke down a ribeye, but <laughs> he just can't because he feels so bad for himself. Um <laughs> Brock served three months in jail. Mm-hmm. So when you get... Um, Not prison, like... No, jail. 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 And he had a round-the-clock guard, I read somewhere. Mm-hmm. Because rapists get fucked up. Yeah, rapists get raped. Mm-hmm. But not Brock. And they said that, too. He'll probably only serve three months. Because for every day of good behavior, whatever day is considered good behavior, then you get a day taken off your sentence. Again, California. I don't know. California sucks. I watched this thing with Nancy Grace, and she goes, what was this judge thinking? I don't know what he was thinking, but I know what we can do about it. We can try and get him off the bench. (laughs) That was a good good I watched it a bunch of times. (laughs) So then Michelle Dauber launched a campaign to recall Judge Persky. There hadn't been a judge recalled since 1932. And if you look at this judge's history, he has a pattern of extreme leniency for white privileged defendants Mm. in sex crimes cases and in cases involving violence against women. Yeah. So this judge is not a one-time piece of shit. Yeah. A new mandatory prison sentence for those convicted of sexually assaulting an unconscious or intoxicated person was then proposed, and Governor Jerry Brown signed two bills into law expanding the definition of rape. These are things that have come come out of it mm-hmm. that will benefit people in the future. Yeah. Not to say like, oh, good. Yeah. Because the fact that it, like that is what turned it around but is like, bullshit. But like what her mom said, there's good and bad things that are gonna. They come, yeah. they come together hand in hand and good things will come. Yeah. Oh, and then also in 2016, the California State Assembly passed a bill making the mandatory minimum for sex crimes three years. Cool. So you can't get any less than three years now. Sorry, new Brock Turners. Sorry, Chad Belmont or whatever the fuck the next. Talk burner. Over 95,000 local signatures were obtained to recall the judge. And on June 5th, 2018, he was recalled. Fucking sweet. And he's a slimy looking little fucker too. He looks like the guy from Princess Bride. Inconceivable. Oh, Except yeah. like like a little damp all the time. <laughs> like a golemy dude from yes! <laughs> all, all white rapists are his preciouses. <laughs> Uh, on July 25th, 2018, 
Brock's appellate attorney appeared before the judge to argue Brock's intentions because those fucking matter. They argued that he didn't have intention for anything more than outer course. Sure. And the justice in that situation literally goes, I absolutely don't understand what you're talking about. Yeah. And on August 8th, 2018, the appeal was denied. He was trying to get, like, so he didn't have to go on the sex offender registry, right? That was what that yeah, was about. Yeah, yeah. A little louder. For the Brock Turners in the back. Yeah. Impact is greater than intent. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. If you're going to walk away with anything, if you've gotten this far and you're like, but I'm a rapist, <laughs> I hope you walk <laughs> well, away with wait. that. Three years and eight months after the assault, the case was closed. Cool. Stanford has since installed a garden where the dumpster was, and they wanted Chanel to choose a quote from her impact statement to put on the bench in the garden. Um, And the person in charge of obtaining the information from Chanel suggested that she use the quote from her impact statement, I'm right here. I'm okay. Everything's okay. I'm right here. Mm -hmm. Which Chanel was appalled by because that's what she said to her sobbing sister when um, Tiffany picked her up from the hospital. And Chanel said that to calm her sister down. Not because she really was okay. She wasn't okay. Yeah. Yeah. So after a bunch of back and forth, Chanel just said, fuck it. They're not going to use what I want because it could be triggering to others and it doesn't convey a clear message of hope. They're just trying to PR the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't have any fault. We checked in on her and whatever when they didn't do shit. Yeah. She put all of this in her book and people went banana nuts on Stanford for them to use what Chanel wanted them to use in the first place. Mm-hmm. And they were trying their best to win at this PR game. But the internet is powerful, y'all, because now the plaque on this little garden patch reads, you took away my worth, my privacy, my energy, my time, my safety, my intimacy, my confidence, my own voice until today. Boom. Yeah. Diamond nips. Pew, pew. So I found Brock. Ew. Yeah. Why? Is he working on like a red lobster or something? Oh my God. Well, it wasn't hard to find him. There's since... nothing wrong with red lobster. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, Actually, oh. it's fucking terrible. Sorry. Red lobster is so good. Dude, hey, go to that. F- Cheddar Bay Biscuits. Oh, yeah, those are good. But, like, if you go to that uh, seafood boil place. I know. I I tried out Red Lobster after that, and I was like, this is garbage. Red Lobster, that's a date place. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. I'll never forget about that. Too good for McDonald's? Is that what he said? (laughs) Yes. And And you're like, yes, I am. So it wasn't hard to find him since he has to register as a sex offender every 90 days for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. He lives in Bellbrook, Ohio with his parents and works an entry-level job at Tark Incorporated where they manufacture cooling technology for medical appliances, which is very 1996, Alanis Morissette ironic, because he was allegedly planning to become a pediatric surgeon. (laughs) So now he gets photographed by the Daily Mail buying his jewel refills at the fucking gas station. Is that true? That is true. Ew, he sucks. I saw a Daily Mail <laughs> article and they're like, Brock Turner just got off of parole today. Here he's seen leaving this gas station with jewel cartridges. I'm like, I fucking knew you were a D-bag before, but is he the most hated man in America besides the president? I was going to say that. I don't know. Today he is. That's it. Love you. Love you. <laughs> hey, pod pals. Sorry, that was dumb. Follow us on Instagram at SVUPod for SVU content and updates. Email us with questions, stories, or whatever, and when me and Tasha can actually hang out again, we'll be reading them on the podcast. Email again is SVUPod at gmail.com. You can subscribe, rate us, review us, and tell your buds. Thanks. Tasha, I suck at this shit. I need you here.